Good to be with you this morning at Greater Alton Church. Liquid sunshine is upon us. Halloween is tomorrow. Uh, do I say happy holiday? No. Well, I'll say happy Halloween. I hope you have a safe one uh, as you go to different houses or maybe to a parade or two. It is good to be together. And uh, I want to remind you, uh, if you um, haven't done this yet, to sign up for the men's retreat, fellas. I hope you have. A lot of guys are going, and you can see Michael at the Welcome Center. We've got the rooms assigned, but there is an option. If you see where you're at and you go, I don't want to be there, talk to Mike, and maybe you can figure something out. It's kind of like church camp. The kids come, I want a room with Bill. I want to be with so-and-so. And we try to accommodate that. But we wanted to make sure everybody is comfortable at this year's men's retreat. It's at Durley Campground. And it's going to be a fantastic, a fantastic weekend because we're talking about being men of action. Uh, men talk too much, right? We need, wow, there's no amen to that. We talk too much. We need to do much, right? We need to do more. So we're going to be doing that this weekend. We're wrapping up a series uh, uh, we've been doing now for several weeks called Decisions, Decisions. I don't know about you, but we face them all the time. There are lots of those moments where we say, should I or shouldn't I? Kind of like a door. We meet, we've, we've come up to a decision and we go, should I go through this door or should I not go through this door? Did you know in your lifetime you will face one over one trillion should I's in your lifetime? Everything from what you eat, what you wear, where you live, what you're going to do, what you're going to say. And all of these decisions have a huge impact. They do have an impact on our well-being, our mental and, and physical health. They, uh, they have an impact on our relationships, the friendships we have, uh, where we work, how we spend our money, how we use our lives. Do we serve or do we seek to be served? All this stuff, even our eternity is all affected by these should I's over a trillion in our lifetime. Now, let's face it. We've talked about this. There are some things in the Bible that are really easy to figure out. Pretty black and white. It's a no-brainer, right? Should I, should I lie? You're laughing. Why <laughs> should I? Of course not. Of course not. I know. Should I steal? No. You know, uh, what about that baby thing when you see this baby and it's not very pretty and they ask you, isn't she so pretty? Oh, come on. You know, uh, 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 should I, should, should I, uh, could I kill? Should I murder? Oh, well, no, those are pretty easy. Should I be kind to people? Duh. Some of you, yeah, I, that's pretty plain. Should I love others? Yes. But there's some things in the Bible that are not so clear. That's like these arrows. We got black and white, you know, that represent black and white decisions, the no-brainers. Then you got those gray ones. They're the ones you're just not so sure about. The Bible's not so quite so thou shalt and thou shalt not on this one. It's more of a gray area. And and we ask ourselves, you know, well, should I keep my job? Should I try that new job? Should I stay in this job? Well, God has given us. We've learned this this weekend that God has given you and I some tools some very good tools to use when we're trying to make up our mind about things. And and some of those are, are we've looked at are, first of all, His Word. God uses His Word to, to help us make up our minds. But He also will use prayer when we ask God 
could you help us make up our minds? God will answer and give us the wisdom sometimes to, to help us understand what to do. Or he might give us a, a friend, a, a wise counsel of another person. The Bible promises that. If with many advisors, your plans will succeed. And then we looked at last week just about the Holy Spirit, how even the Holy Spirit, God wants to be involved. He didn't want to stay on the planet in one body. He wanted to be in everybody. And he and through that, by Jesus leaving, the Holy Spirit comes. And in every believer, he dwells and he begins to nudge us and help us understand some things. And quite often, I'm able to make up my mind. This weekend, or this week, I was at uh, Redco. And as I'm working on this sermon, I hear another fella across the room, and he's on speakerphone. You ever had those people who are on speakerphone talking to their relatives or talking to, he's talking to his daughter? And she's like, oh, I got this going on. And she just starts unloading all the stuff that's happening, and he is get, trying to give her wise counsel, and they're talking about the Lord. And I can tell she's near to tears because she's trying to help some women and they're in bad situations. He says, you've got to get her out of that house. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've Look, the Bible says this, honey. You need to work on that. And finally, they hang up. And I I am wrapping up my prep. And I'm walking out to Bredco. And I get out the, bat, the, I get out the door. And I stop and go, I need to talk to him. I'm supposed to talk to him. That's weird. I, I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me. So I go back in. I said, hey, mister. He goes, yeah. He goes, I listened to you. I mean, everybody could hear you, okay? And they were talking about some pretty heady stuff, politically incorrect things that we just don't talk about in America, you know? And I said, I noticed you're trying to help your daughter there. I just want you to know, I'm going to be praying for you. Right when I leave, I walk out the doors. I'm going to start praying. What's your daughter's name? Her name's Abby. He goes, man, thanks a lot. She's in Uzbekistan trying to help some women that are under incredible pressure. And she's, is she a missionary? Yes. God bless you. He goes, you know, that means a lot to me that you, you know, that you would overhear that. Instead of coming over going, what are you doing talking about homosexuality and transgender stuff? This morning, I'm on my way to church and I get this overwhelming thought. I need to call James Lampley right now. So I call him. Usually we used to call every Sunday morning and pray. I call him. Hey, James. Hey, brother. How's it going? Well, I'm with my daughter at Starbucks. Oh, well, I just want you to know I want to pray for you. I felt I needed to talk to you because you don't realize how important this is. Please pray for me. Goodbye. And I start praying. I get a text while I'm back here. I love you so much. You don't know how much that helped me. I don't know what you prayed about. But thank you. Holy Spirit will do that to us sometimes. Trying to get us to make some choices, to go through some doors we think don't even notice. Hey, did you notice this one? Go through that one, Tim. Well, God gives, this is what we've learned in this series. God has given you and I the freedom to choose. That's one thing he doesn't force on you and I. But he also, what comes with it is a grave responsibility of every choice you and I make. And so he doesn't want us to make any bad choices any more than you want to make bad choices. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, today I'm going to set a record. I'm going to make so many bad choices. 35,000 choices a day is what you and I face a day. I think I can do 20,000 a day. God says, I want to help you with every one of them. The moment you wake up to the moment you fall asleep. And, And he does that through all these avenues. 
And then he uses another, another tool, and that's called our brain. He gives us a brain for a reason to think. And he wants us to use that brain. He, he says, I'm going to help you use your head to make up your mind. And that's called discernment. And that's what I want to talk about today, the power of discernment. What is discernment? Well, look at this passage in Proverbs here on your notes if you want to follow along. Stop looking at the ten points. Just look at the, look at the passage. A wise man will listen and increase his learning, and a discerning man will obtain guidance. Notice that. Wise guy listens. He wants that knowledge. But a discerning man, you know what he gets when he uses discernment? Guidance. You want some guidance on what to do? What's the next step for me? I need a discerning heart. I need to learn to, to work on the skill of discernment. Well, what is discernment, Tim? Well, let me give you my personal definition of discernment. It's using my common sense to reach a good decision. It's using my common sense. It's using your common sense, using your head to make a good choice. Let me give you some synonyms about discern, what discernment is. Discernment, you could say this, you could call or common sense. It's common sense being wise, insight, to understand, to calculate. Here's a word I thought was interesting, shrewd is an equivalent to common sense. You know, Jesus says that. He says we're to be shrewd as snakes, innocent as doves. So it's it's good to be have a be a person of discernment. Jesus recommends it and he appeals to our common sense over and over. What's the opposite of common sense? Being naive, being gullible, being childlike. One time when my grandkids were all together, I held out a quarter in one hand and put a $10 bill in the other hand, and I said, you get to choose, and guess what they went for? The quarter. I would never try that at 15. Uh, you understand why. He picked. He, they picked the quarter. Why? It's shiny. They have no idea. I could have put a $100 bill there, and they'd still pick that quarter. Why is that? Because they lack the insight, the discernment, the common sense. Well, they learn. One time God was basically held his hands out to a king named Solomon. He said, choose whatever you want. I give you, I, I want you to choose. What do you want from me? Ask anything and it's yours. And Solomon thought for a minute. And look what the Bible says here up on the screen in 1 Kings 3 9. He says, please give your servant a discerning mind in order to govern your people and, and to distinguish good from evil because no one is able to govern this important people of yours without your help. He's saying, I, I want this. And you know what God says? He goes, that's a great answer. That's a great request. I'm going to bless you with a discerning heart. You're going to know, you're going to be one of the wisest people ever walked on this planet. And besides that, I'm going to give you all this other stuff as well. Because you can, you now know what to do with riches and popularity and power because you have this, this gift of discernment, this quality the skill. Philippians, Paul says this in Philippians 1.9. And this is my prayer. He says this to the church in Philippi, his most favorite church. I've heard people say he's, this is his sweetheart church. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and notice, and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. I don't know about you. I want to make the best choice. I want to make the, the, uh, if it's good or bad, I want to make the good choice. I want to make the wise choice. And Paul says, you know, I pray for you 
the church. He says, I pray for, I, I, the church needs to have this quality. So how do I discern what is best? That's what I want to look at. And what I want to share with you today are 10 questions I ask myself that work for me. There's probably more. Originally, I had 15 questions, and I thought, I only can do 10. And so I, I was able to combine a few. Some might sound a little similar, but they are, these are 10 questions that really work for me. I make the best choices. For me personally, I make great choices when I ask these 10 questions because they help me make up my mind. Question number one, let's get into it. What does God say about it? Just ask yourself, what does God say about this? Look what Proverbs says. Wisdom is directly in front of the discerning person. But the eyes of the fool run to the ends of the earth. When it comes to decision-making, wise people have what, what God says right in front of them all the time. That's the first thing they look at. When I was a kid, we used to be on the farm and we would, we'd be plowing in a field or we'd be disking a field. And I remember, uh, my dad would, I said, Dad, how do we, how do we, I'd get too crooked. He says, look, you need to find a focal point. See that tree on the other side? Cause some of the fields we had were very long. He said, see that tree, that big oak tree? Yeah. Put the, the radiator cap, line it up like a rifle sight and just stay on that and you'll get your first row straight as an arrow. That's what a wise person does. He keeps wisdom, what God says, directly in front of him. So he's really wanting to know what God has to say. The fool, his eyes are wandering over the place. Instead of looking at the God's word, he's looking for loopholes, excuses, or as we like to say, excreasons. What are those? They're, They're excuses that we think are good reasons. He's looking for that. Again, look at Psalms 119. David says this, For I am your servant, therefore give me common sense to apply your rules to everything I do. David says, I want to do everything I do, everything I'm about to do. I'm going to bring your rules, your statutes, your values, your principles into this decision-making process. I'm not going to look for exceptions. I'm not going to look for a loophole. I'm looking for wisdom. Because some of these decisions are so huge, I don't want to blow it. You know, the Bible is thick for a reason. It's not a pamphlet. It's thick because it does cover a lot of stuff. Do I know what it covers? Look at this uh, up on your screen. I think we got... I Sometimes I'll go to this openbibleinfo.com. Is that up there, anybody? Chance there? Here's what it looks like. I'll type in making choices, and this is what I get. This is what I got when I typed in making choices. I don't know how... Anybody ever use this open... I love it. I use it. Now, sometimes they got verses that don't make any sense. I go... And I type it, not helpful. That didn't help me a rip. You know, there's always that person that's got to have John 3.16 in every subject. You know, for God so loved the world, he gave his own. It's a great verse. I'm sorry to, sorry, Lord, I didn't mean to make fun of that verse. It's a great verse. But there's a, but it doesn't help. But there's a lot of verses I'll find, I'll find in sermon prep. As well as preparing for a decision. And so I just ask myself, what does the Bible say? What's the Bible say about being single, about being married? What's the Bible say about being young, about being old? What's the Bible say about parenting? What's the Bible say about money? What's the Bible say about morality? 
Is there anything, God, that you say that relates to what I'm about to face, what I'm about to decide? Is there any principle I could go by, any thought I could go by? See, I'm always looking for God's commands and God's principles when I'm in the Bible. I'm not just after thou shalt not thou or thou shall. I'm looking for, look at this too. Here's a value. Thou shalt value this ideal. That's the first thing. First question I ask, what's the Bible say about it? And I'll look. I was a kid. I remember looking for dirty words in the dictionary. Anybody else done that? We're looking for those dirty words. They're not there. Well, well not, they are now. They used to not be there. And I do the same thing in the Bible. What's the Bible say about this? And I could not find that word, but I could find verses that kind of come up against it, that related to it. That's why the, was it a thesaurus is so handy to look up at other words that say the same thing or looking at different translations. I look at six translations, at least six on one computer and all of Bible Gateway every time I'm looking at a topic. So what's the Bible say? Number two. Will my choice bring glory to God? There's a great question. Will it bring glory to God? Look at the Bible says first, here's, here's a principle. Here's a principle. Whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking or anything else, do it all as to bring glory to God. Well, what is that? Bringing glory to God. We should glorify God. Well, what's that mean? Well, glorifying God means reflecting God's qualities. It's making God really clear for others to see. Another word for glory is to magnify. And I, I, I got some glasses. Some, I had to switch from 2.25 reading glasses to 2.50. I'm going fast, folks. And, and it helped. You're kind of blurry. Instead of doing this routine, I'm just, I'll, I'll be content with you being blurry. But I, but I, I tell you, I got to see it clear. And you know, these are great to help me see clearly. And when we, we get ready to choose to do something, will it, will it help others? See God clearly? I'm about to spend my money a certain way. I'm about to to fill my schedule up a certain way. I'm about to plan my year a certain way. Will it bring glory to God? It's a great question to ask. Danny and I were were just, we were at McDonald's and um, up here at Bethalto. I've been going to Bethalto McDonald's uh Last couple of weeks, every day, I'd be on my way to church building, and I'd see this van that had a busted out back glass. And I thought, man, that guy ain't got that thing fixed yet. So one day I had some margin, and I stopped in, and I go, can somebody tell me who's this? Yeah, it's a boss, our, our uh, new maintenance man. He comes out, his name is Paul. And he goes, well, hi, what, what can I do for you? I said, well, I know you got a back glass busted out of your van. I'd like to be able to put it in. Well, I can't. I really can't afford it. Oh, no, no, you don't understand. I'm not asking you whether you can pay for it or not. I just want to put one in because you've got to have that before it rains. That's going to destroy everything in your van. And he's like, you mean, what are you talking about? I said, I'm just, I've already got the glass coming and it's going to be here in about 15 minutes and we're going to put this in for you if it's okay. And he just goes, okay. How much is it going to cost again? It's going to cost you nothing. And he goes, don't worry about it. Well, well, you know, I got a quote for $500. That's an expensive glass. They're raping you over there. Don't, that's not what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you zero. Listen, can I get it? Can I do it? Will you let me do it? Well, I guess. So I'm out there and I'm excited. I'm getting it all ready. Danny shows up. We slam it in. It's perfect looking. He walks out. Now, how much do I, I need to pay you something. I go, no, you're not paying us nothing. But I want you to pay us something. I got to pay something. How much did it cost you to put it in? I don't know. I, I don't, I don't care. I did know, but I didn't want him to know. I, I, 
You said, Tim, you just a minute ago, you said, don't lie. I know. But, but you know, I, I go, it's, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Oh, I got to do something. I go, well, how about this? And Danny goes, how about pay it forward? Just pay it forward, man. I said, look, Paul, Danny and I are Christians. And a lot of people are bashing on Christians right now. And we're just trying to, we feel like we're supposed to help you with this. Will you let us be a Christian? Well, sure. But I feel like I owe you something. You don't owe me a thing. We go inside, have a cup of coffee. Here's 50 bucks. No, I don't want your money. I mean, I said, listen, we're just trying. A lot of churches don't care about people and they get slammed for it. And we're out here trying to change their reputation. Well, you're changing it. Praise God. I want to glorify God. It's we're, we're, we're doing this for God. We're doing it for God, man. I question. I'm about to go through this door. Before I go through it, will this honor God? I'm about to program this in my TV. Will this honor God? Will this glorify God? Uh, I'm, I'm about to, I'm about to, you know, to, uh, 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 sign this contract, make this promise. Will it glorify and honor and please God? Will it show who I really worship? Who it's re- what's really important? What's behind, he said this, what's really behind this? I go, I don't know. Gary does it. He's making me think about it. You know? I don't know. I said, it's just the Lord. Would you leave it alone? He gives us some McDonald's gift cards. I said, okay. You feel better? He goes, yeah. And I said, well, I don't. So, I'm just being honest with y'all folks. I mean, that's what, it's, so is it a good example? Or is it, that, is it honor God? Here's the number three. Will my choice set a good example? Not only if I look at the Word of God before I choose, I, I ask myself, will, will it glorify you? Will it make you attractive, Lord, if I do this? Will people see and go, wow? And will it be a good example? This is a toughie. This is a toughie because none of us are perfect in this area. Am I right about that? We blow it all. Our kids, and they see right through us. They don't have to be teenagers. They can be four and go, Dad, you're dumb. What are you doing? I wouldn't do that, and I'm four. You know, we, we, and yet the Bible says, and I, I, so before I choose, look at his, Paul says to Titus, always set a good example for others. Now there's lots of verses that talk about setting an example, but this one I, was the shortest one. Always set a good example for others. I get that. A good example of what? Well, how about this? How about a good example of Jesus Christ? Living like Jesus. Responding like Jesus. Thinking like Jesus. Speaking like Jesus. Serving like Jesus. I'm getting ready to say something. I, I just, I'm glad I'm a senior citizen now. Because I asked God, said, help me preach like I, when, after I came out of the baptistry when I was 20. Help me talk like that, Lord. With the excitement and fervency of a new Christian. And boy, oh man, he's putting it on me right now. And, and I want to tell you, I want to be just as exciting and positive and like Jesus, more like Jesus when I'm older. You know, when you're young and dumb, I mean, you do dumb stuff, right? Oh, he's just young and he's inexperienced. He's not quite like Jesus. Well, what excuse do I have when I'm 65? 
They don't say, well, you're young. No, you're stubborn. And some of us older folks, we need to understand, throughout all the seasons of life, I need to set a good example. Why? Because it's in our nature. It's in human nature to imitate people we admire. And sometimes people we don't admire. What do you mean? Well, I'm not going to do that. I see that and I'm never going to be that. You know, I remember watching a bunch of old guys, old geezers in the church talking, old leaders in the church, and I felt like they were just holding the church back and said, God, let me never be that man. I do not want to be that. My wife says, sometimes, Tim, I think you're 25 in a 65-year-old body. I said, yeah, I know. The spirit is willing, but the body is so weak. But yet, I, I don't want to be that old. I, I, I don't want to let the old man in. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just saying, regardless of what age, I'm watching, I'm watching some of our teenagers with umbrellas out in the rain helping people, and I'm going, God, thank you. I took a picture of it. Sorry, girls, I took a picture of you. I just loved it. That's a, what's that do? It's setting a good example encourages you, does it? Being a good example encourages other people too. And see, people, that's our human nature. And a good, ex, uh, to imitate others, and a good example makes, makes God attractive, makes Jesus attractive, and it just encourages other people so much. It encourages them to know this, catch this. It helps them know and encourages them to believe I can do that too. I was over, uh, watched uh, Meyer at Taekwondo this week for the first time. He's got his little black outfit on, an orange belt, and he's running around like little Bruce Lee all over the place, or Jackie Chan for you younger folks, or I don't know if that's probably somebody else. You know, anyway, he's, he's doing his thing, and, and all of a sudden this old guy gets up, and he's the teacher, and he goes, okay, oh, and they all, they all go, Ha! It's like it was a cult. Scary. Face the flag. Now, oh! Now, put your right foot forward. We're going to do a snap kick. And I watched Meyer. Get in your fighting stance. And they all go at the same time. And I'm like, this is scary. And he goes, And I watched Meyer go, and I'm watching, okay, do a, a round. And he goes, look over your shoulder, pivot around, and pow! And I'm like, ouch, watching this. And then I'm watching a kid not getting it right. And here comes this instructor, assistant, walks up and goes, no, 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 here's how you do it. Stand like me. Do it like this. Now, huh, huh. Or they say, no, no, no. Double snap. Then they go, then I'm watching, I'm, I'm watching this go down, and I'm like, and it was just moments before, and this little kid gets it. It was moments before that this assistant was being corrected by the instructor before the class began. No, 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 you're doing it wrong. Do it like this. Do it like this. And now he's up there teaching this little kid how to do it. The power of a good example. It demonstrates, I can do that. By the way, that assistant was a black belt and still getting assistance. There's something powerful about a good example. It doesn't have to be perfect. So I have to ask myself, will my example, I'm getting out of breath, will my example, will it give somebody an excuse or will it encourage them when it comes to the will of God? Will it give somebody, oh, there's why I don't, because he don't. Or I don't do it because she don't. 
Or, you know what, you just helped me understand, I can do that too. I ask myself this question as a grandparent, and I get, I get corrected a lot by my sons when I'm around their kids. Brian's laughing because you know what I'm talking about. I'll get a little worked up, I play a little too much, and Matthew will go, hey, 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 can we just keep it down? He'll get that. Or Nathan's like going, I don't think you ought to talk about that. Oh, okay. I messed up. And so what I do now, and I, I'm learning this now, and I used to do this, but I'm learning it again. Do I want my children to do what I'm about to do? Would I want my children to decide to do this? Would I be, you say, but they're little kids, Tim. Well, I don't picture them just little, I picture them as 35 or 40. Would I want them at 40 years of age? When they were a little bitty, I'm going, would I want them to decide to do this? Why is that? Because more is caught than taught. These kids, our kids catch stuff from us. They don't catch the, like how we hold the cigarette or how we, how much beer we drink or where we're speeding, how far we speed. They catch the attitude. It's the fertile soil, the heart that makes them whatever they do. And so I ask myself now, I'm asking myself, I haven't asked myself in a while, what am I grand, do I want my grandkids to do this and say this? And it's making me pause now. And as a church and God's family, do you know your example has an impact on everybody else here? And you have to ask yourself, would I want this new Christian to decide to do this? Would I want, would I want a leader to do this? Because I guarantee it, those younger than you and those older than you, okay, everybody around you is catching something from you and you want to make sure it's good. That's the power of a good example. Ask yourself, do I inspire people or do I just offer them excuses with my example before I decide? Number four, Will I, will my choice hinder me? This is a capacity issue because I see this a lot. We, or the decisions we make can sometimes, not bad ones, not, not sin, but good things can stop me or hinder me from doing what God wants. I can't get through the door because I've got too much and the doors won't let me in. I've got, I, I have to let go of something to get in this door. I have to change some things. And some of those things I'm letting go of can be something good. It don't have to be necessarily sin. Look at the Bible says here in Hebrews 12, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back, and especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. And let us run with patience with the particular race that God has set before us. He's saying this path, the will of God that's set before you, you, do, you need to look at, is anything holding me back or slowing me down? Gary Chappell's probably the, the best long-distance runner in our church, or he used to be. I used to do long-distance running, but Gary talks about it all the time. He, he has raced some of the most, some, some Olympians that were in high school. I mean, this is, I, I, I'm amazed at some of his stories. And one of the stories I heard one time in the Olympics was how Frank Shorter, who was, a, was our best premier marathon runner, the night before would take a razor blade and shave off as much rubber off of his shoe without compromising the, the integrity of the shoe. And I asked him one time, why do you do that? And he, and he said this on the Today Show. He said, I watched it. He said, I do this because at the end of 26.5 miles, your feet feel like concrete blocks. 
And they, um, I, and I think when I shave this off, that'll slow me down later in life. Every, every choice you make, it's gonna, it's going to regulate, it's going to determine sometimes the speed in which you move. Also, whether or not you finish this path, this will of God. See, I, I can't do very much in the kingdom of God when I'm running around like a chicken with a head cut off with too much going on. I'm overloaded, overworked, overscheduled. I'm weighed down. Those are good things. And so I have to ask myself, well, this may be a good thing, but it may not be the time for me to have this because this will take me out of doing something. It will hold me back from doing something for the Lord that He needs me to do. Like I say, overworked, full schedule. Maybe I'm wrapped up in romance. I see that a lot of times. People get wrapped up in romance so much that their love for the Lord has kind of weakened. It's holding them back. And they're tired. So I have to ask myself, again, when it comes to, will this choice hinder me? Will this choice, is it going to get in the way? Is it going to help me? Is it going to give me a second wind? Or is it going to slow me down or hold me back from doing something. I don't know how many people I've asked that I'd like you to be able to help with this. I can't because I work. Well, you got to work, Tim. Really? Really? How did the employer become more powerful than the Lord of Lords? You say, Tim, you're telling me to quit my job? I'm not telling you to do that. I'm asking, we, we're in a culture that's trying to work us to death and pay us as little as possible. I know that's going on. And what do we do when we, we, we're overloaded? When we say, sure, I'll volunteer. Sure, I'll do the overtime. Sure, I'll do that. Sure, I'll do that. And we, next thing you know, my family is not, I'm not around. And the Lord, I, I, the Lord can't get, they say, if you want something done, ask a busy person. Sometimes if they're overloaded, they're unable to. It's a capacity issue. So ask yourself, if I do this, if I, if I make this choice, what's, how's it going to affect my availability? How's it going to, is it, is it going to hinder me from growing as a Christian? Is it going to hinder me from connecting with other, other brothers and sisters in Christ? Does it, does it hamper my connection? Number five, will my choice build up other believers? Kind of like the good example. I, I ask myself, will this help other people? Will this encourage people? I hear, I, I love it when I, you hear good news. I listened to a lot of good news this morning in our Fall Fest uh, booth me- meeting. And, oh, and people said, I'm going to do this and I've done this. Like, there are plans for next year. And it's just encouraging. It builds up. And when you make a choice, does it, will it build up other people? Or will they make them scratch their head and go, what are you thinking? What are you doing? I don't understand. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says this to the church. He quotes somebody. We're allowed to do all things. He's saying, you're free to do whatever you want, but not all things are good for us to do. We're allowed to do all things. And notice he says, yeah, but not all things help others grow stronger. Do not look out only for yourselves. Look out for the good of others also. You know, see, free. listen, God sets us free from sin, but he, we're not set free from our responsibility to one another. And my choices, your choices, they really have a, 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 a tremendous impact on the rest of the church here. Look at here up on the screen. Paul would say this just a few verses down. Don't cause anyone to stumble. 
Now, I know when we talk about this, you might think about, oh, yeah, there's all kinds of people I know that cause people to stumble. There's the Bill Hybels. There's the, the, the uh, Jimmy Swaggerts, the Jim Bakers. And we look at, at leaders in particular. And, they're, and just about every week, some preacher's doing something stupid. Amen. I know that's true in America. Somebody, some leader's doing something crazy. Embezzled some money, run off with the secretary, downloading porno, getting drunk on the side, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And what do we say? Oh, man, that's ridiculous. And the world does. They're going, look at that. They bring up, they bring up one of these guys. You're trying to have a spiritual conversation. And why do, and, and what does it do? Anybody here got anybody that studied the Bible with you and baptized you and they're no longer following Jesus anymore? That's discouraging. They made some choices and you go, man, you just made it very, I'm confused. I'm hurt. I got news for you, church. What I hear as a preacher is I'd go somewhere, I'd go there, but they're full of hypocrites. They're not just bashing the preacher. They're bashing everybody. And well, I got to ask myself, I'm about to do something. I'm about to choose something. Will this encourage other people? Will it build them up or tear down their faith? Not just weak Christians. Sometimes, sometimes as leaders, and I know some of us here, some of us, some of us that are leading, you're very discouraged right now. And it may not, it may not be over a choice you've made, but you've seen it, and it's discouraged to watch somebody choose something really, really unwise. And to watch that. You, as a leader, you have the front row seat. I want to tell you, when, when I hear stuff going on, and, and by the way, you can't hide everything. You really can't. It's bound to come out. There's scripture I could go into. I just want you to know, church, we have, when, when you do something that's like, oh man, that was a bonehead move. I want to tell you, it has an impact on the health of our church here. It's not just me. Listen, I know I got to be extremely careful. Let me tell you who else needs to be extremely careful. You. You need to be careful. Every choice you make. I remember Robert and I used to talk about this when you're at the, near the top of leadership. The wiggle room is less. Listen, I got news for you. The wiggle room is less for everybody. When you've made, when you've chosen, uh, turn away from the ways of the world into the narrow road of following Christ, the wiggle room is all of a sudden narrowed. And I just want to say, when you, before you choose something, you ask yourself, is this, would this, would this encourage people or would this discourage people? Well, what they don't know won't hurt them. You want to bet? It's all caught. A lot more than taught. Will it build up other people? I think about, I think about, uh, on a ship, there's people that work above deck and people that work below deck. And let me tell you, those are people that work below deck that don't seem to be as important. <laughs> They're very important. Because if they make a wrong choice, everybody goes down. So it's not just the captain, whoever that be, but it's everyone in the body of Christ. Romans 14 says this, So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. I want to say, I want if there's anything you're going to get out of this point, I want you to get this. One person makes a difference. 
one teenager makes a difference in our youth ministry. One child. I, I looked over at Elena. I remember when we were in Bible hour together. And she was the one person that made the difference. Many times, everybody else has got good. Elena's like, I'm not selling out. I've got two people I can think of that cried when they had to leave and go to big church. And Elena's one of them. And I cried too. Not the other one. Because I'm going, I need her. Because we need... up to One senior citizen makes a big difference in 50, 50 plus. One employee makes a difference. They're glorifying God or griping in the workplace. Just one person. So when you're making that choice, I, when I'm making that choice, I ask myself, I want to be that person. I want to be a person that chooses to build up people. So will my choice build up or tear down God's family? Number six, is my choice good stewardship? I ask myself that. See, Jesus used the idea of a manager all the time. More than more and more, more on occasion, he would talk about how we're like managers. He would compare us to being managers. Well, why would he do that? Because we are. We're stewards of what he gives us. You're a manager of what God gives you. And look what the Bible says here in Romans 14. All of us will have to give an account of ourselves to God. What is he saying? Someday, God, we're going to face God, each of us. He's going to say, so what did you do with the money I gave you? What did you do with the talent I gave you? What did you do with, with the, the house, the car, the opportunities I gave you? So I ask myself, will this decision use it wisely? Well, am I going to be a good steward of what God has given me? Or am I going to waste it? Number seven, is this the right time? I ask myself that too. Solomon said, he says this, for everything that happens in life, there's a reason, a right time for everything under heaven. You see, wise choices are time sensitive. They really are. And it's like, is this the right time to do this? Maybe I should wait on the Lord here. Or is it the right time? Maybe I should get off my blessed assurance and do this. It's time to do something. I'm not talking about dragging your feet sometimes. Sometimes it's just tapping on the brakes and going, well, let me think about this. Time gives us, it's interesting, I was reading an article about delay and decision making, and one of the things they said was sometimes delay is a good thing because it gives us time to process and let things simmer a little bit. So I have to, because everything has the right time, I need to ask myself, is this the right time? Mike Napier one time told me in preacher school way back, he said, I was getting, I was, uh, I was getting bothered with something and I wanted to overreact. He goes, well, Tim, wait a second. Here's what I do. And he says, when I get criticism about a sermon, which is often, he said, and he goes, when I get criticism, sometimes I'll write the letter out. I'll write, this is before texting now. Somehow that helped back then, not having texting. He was able, he said, I write the letter out what I'm going to say, and I put an envelope, and I address it, and I set it on the sill, and I sleep on it. I'll give God, you know, I want to give the Holy Spirit 24 hours to kind of, and you know, a lot of times, Tim, I do, I end up taking it off the sill and putting it in the trash. I said, really? He goes, yeah. Except one time, I put it on the sill, and my wife mailed the letter. So I now I don't put it where she can get to it. 
He said, but I found great value in that. I have found great value in that too. My best moments are when I sit back and go, is this the time to say something? Is this the time to really go off? Or is this the time I need to speak up? I'm here recently. I've been finding God's been saying, you need to speak up about that now. You're dragging your feet. You're not tapping on the brakes. You've got the emergency brake on, Tim. Take it off. Let's go. So is it the right time? Ask yourself that. Number eight, do I have enough information? If there's anything I've learned over the years is this. Life is more rewarding with a little more research. I'll just check some stuff out. Consumer reports, I'll check a product out. I will think about if I've got to purchase a car, okay, can I afford the payment? What's the insurance rate going to be? How much is it going to cost to maintain this thing? I do a little research. Proverbs 19 says, be, being excited about something's not enough. You must also know what you're doing. Don't rush into something or you might do it wrong. What's he saying? Don't jump to conclusions. Look before you leap. Read the fine print. Look both ways before you cross the street. Get a good idea before you decide. I want. I like this house, but it needs a lot of work. If you've ever seen the movie The Money Pit, been there. So excited about the house, didn't realize how. I, I like this job. That's great. Can you do the job? Secondly, how will this affect your family? You know, this this is a side note. I want to mention something to you, and that is that the the first week in January we're offering a six to eight week money class. Gary Chapel is going to be teaching that, and I uh, you might want to write that down and be ready when we get you that information. If you you're saying I'd like to know a little, I'd like to have more information before I purchase something. This is the perfect class for you. Number nine, have I talked it over? Have I talked to the Lord about it? I can get so worked up at making a choice and making a decision, I, I overlook the obvious one. Talk to God about it. Now, Gary did a fantastic job talking about prayer. And it's something that really does work. Years ago, I was a new Christian, and I was, uh, I was, um, I lived, I lived in Golden Gate, and the drive to Mount Carmel was roughly 35, 40 minute drive, 35 minute drive. And I was driving there on Sundays, and I couldn't come home because I, I wanted to go to church on Sunday night, so I'd stay around Mount Carmel and then go to church Sunday night, then come home. And then I started taking preacher classes, and I just found myself going to Mount Carmel every day. It was a lot on the gas bill. And I wanted, I thought, maybe I should move to Mount Carmel so I don't have to drive so much. Makes sense, right? But I was terrified to talk to anybody about it. I lived at home, and my dad depended on me to get a lot of work done. And and if I was I was 18, he wasn't he wasn't kicking me out. He was like, "Can't you stick around? I need the 40 acres plowed. I need the pigs took care. You know." And I'm like, very terrified, terrified. And I must have come to church with this look on my face because Susan Dotson pulls me aside after church in the foyer. Never forget as long as I live. Tim, you okay? I go, yeah, I'm okay. You look like something's on your mind. What's going on? Well, Susan, I don't know. I've only been a Christian for you know a little while, and man, I, I'm thinking maybe I need to move to Carmel. But my dad, he only gonna get mad. And you'll, you'll, you'll not understand. He doesn't want me to be a preacher to begin with. I don't know what to do. And he, she goes, okay, okay, hey, hey, 
Why don't you pray about it? Have you prayed about it? And I go, no, I didn't pray about it. I haven't prayed about it. Why don't you pray about it? Then she opened up her Bible right there at church. <gasps> and she went to James 5.16 and read this verse to me. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's the one she read to me. That translation said, Tim, you're a righteous man. And your prayers are powerful and effective. Why don't you just ask God? God, give me the opportunity. Help me give, have the courage and, and, and see what happens. Okay. It worked. It worked. I prayed about it. I was scared to death. I said, Lord, give me the courage. Give me the opportunity. I'm in, in a factory. While all these presses are stamping out parts, it sounds like boom, 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 and they're all hitting. It's like it's it's a craziest sound you ever heard. The floor is shaking, and I'm walking. Uh, uh, I see my dad. He happens to be. We happen to meet at the same spot. And I'm thinking this must be the time. I said, Dad, I need to talk to you about something. He goes, He takes it. What? I need to talk to you about something. What is it? I need to move to Mount Carmel. What? I need to move out of the house. Uh, he starts crying. I didn't say I got cancer. I said, why do you want to move? Ah! It's not anything I expected. I thought he was going to go, what? You're not moving. I got you. I own you. He's like, why would you move? I must have yelled too much. I must have done. I said, no, dad. No, no. I, here's why. And he goes, well, how can I help you? Here we are. We hug and we're crying in the middle of this factory. The floor is shaking. Everybody must be looking. What are they doing over there? And we're boohooing over. I'm growing up and it's time to move on. It worked. My dad's heart was softened. My heart was quickened. I had some courage I, I, did, I didn't know I had. All because I asked the Lord about it. Let me ask you, are you facing a decision? Have you been praying about it? Have you been praying about it? I know you. some of what we pray together during the services. Are you praying about superficial things? Or are you really getting in there? Let me encourage you, man. Man, talk about this decision. You know, here's why. Because when you pray about it, God will help you make up your mind. It's powerful and effective. Here's the tenth question, and we're going to be done. So what am I going to do? you got to ask that question. After all the praying, all the thinking, all the information, all the, uh, the Word of God, all the advice you've gotten, you've got to decide, what am I going to do? You say, why is that so important? Because indecision is a bad decision. It doesn't make any sense. You've got to decide and live with the decision. Look what Solomon says. He went to great lengths here to try to figure out and try to make up his mind what he needs to do. And at the end of his search, he, he makes this choice. Here is my final conclusion, he says in Ecclesiastes. Fear God and obey His commands, for this is the entire duty of man. Solomon realizes I can't straddle the fence on this. I have to live, I gotta go one way or the other. I have to decide am I gonna worship God and serve God and do what He guides me and do His will or go on up my own. Again, I say, you cannot, you and I, we can't straddle the fence either. God doesn't say that's, that indecision is just a bad decision. I know some of you here, you're putting off some choices. You've been putting off some decisions. You're saying, I'm not sure, I don't know, I don't know what I'm gonna do. That's a terrible place to be. It's a terrible place to be. But when you, you can use your common sense and, and, and listen, 
and ask God, ask God some questions. Ask Him a few of these questions. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to finally, if, when you make that decision and live with that decision, it's going to be so good because it's a good choice. So now what I want you to do now is this. Just look at all those questions for a minute. All those questions on your notes. Circle two you need to be asking. I ask you to do two things here. Circle two of them. That you go, those two I probably need to be asking God. And then I want to ask you to have the courage to talk in your small group about it. Or talk to someone over coffee about it. Because God wants to help you and I make all these decisions. Over a trillion doors in your lifetime, God wants you to choose the best ones. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for just the Your Word, the power of prayer, the wisdom that we have in our church with people that we, that we can trust and know they've got our... our that your best interest in our lives. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that's constantly working. And God, we thank you for the brain you've given us. I know sometimes I've been lazy. I've let somebody else do my thinking for me. And Father, you want us to, you want us to think too. So I pray, Father, that as we, if, if two heads are better than one, we bring your head into this. And we together, all of us here can together make some of the best decisions uh, to secure our future. Father, I know some of us here, I, I can be one of them. I've made some stupid choices. I've made some bonehead ones. Father, I think it's great that I can go back and I can, well, I can just decide to go the other way now. So we pray for your, that you'll help us, Father, make the best choices. Speak to our hearts through this series. And help us have our own final conclusion. And that's to worship You, to choose what glorifies You, what pleases You, what helps other believers, what honors You, what obeys Your Word. Fantastic, fantastic to be together today, Father. Such a good time here. We just pray that You'll be honored and blessed because of it, that we'll change when we leave here. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In the calm of your presence, I am listening, Lord. I am still, I am quiet, I am yours. In the calm.